Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. Again, that reminder, where the cars are fast and we are not. <laughs> Is it not true? It's very true. I just wanted to know how long it took you to come up with that tagline. I don't know. It just, it, it just it popped in my head. Okay. And it's 100% accurate. No, you are not very fast at all. Oh, and you're one to talk. I'm quick. Witted. Yeah, I was going to say, not in a car, you're not quick. Not at all. So let, let's just, we'll jump right in. No preliminaries here. We're just going to go right into it. Well, we did no show prep. You haven't told me what we're going to talk about, not what the order is. I know nothing. I am along for the ride just like the listener. That's not even remotely true. Sure it is. We just had this whole conversation before I hit the red button. We did? All right. We're jumping right in. Deep into the pool. Everybody put on your swim trunks. So we finally got word as to what our TV coverage, or at least what we're going to get for commentating for Formula One this year. And, you know, when the word first came out, this was our response. Uh, yeah, I think the list of gifts that you texted me when that came out <laughs> was off the charts. Well, the th you know, at, at first glance, when you just look at it on the surface, for the American F1 fan, this is really good news. Now, not all of the American F1 fans quite realize this yet. Um, if you look at some of the commentary when um, folks like Martin Brundle and, and some of the other, James Allen and some of the others posted on their Twitter feeds that this is what was happening, there was a mix of responses. You had the American fans who were familiar with Sky's coverage, who, was going, who reacted exactly like we did. You should probably start by saying... ESPN is outsourcing their coverage to the Sky coverage from the UK. Yes, it, okay. it, it, it's the Sky feed during the race. Um, we know that, but there's there's more coming. So w w let, let me do my build here. So okay. yes, the, the Sky feed will be providing the race coverage for Formula One. The American fans response who has seen the Sky coverage on social media, has been pretty much the same as ours. Really excited, really stoked to hear it. Most of the British fans, on the other hand, thought that this was an absolutely awful move. Not from the perspective of, we don't deserve good coverage. Well, the colonies don't deserve good coverage, I'm sure. Actually, before I even get to the British fans, the American fans who haven't seen Sky's coverage, who think that... And, and apparently there's quite a few of them who think that the NBC sports coverage is just amazeballs. Oh, my word. All that they could do was cry over the fact that they would not get their very beloved Steve Matchett and Lee Diffie and David Hobbs. And Was that the order? Please tell me that was the order. Please tell me that my American fellow Americans doesn't put... David Hobbs above Steve Matchett. Actually, there seemed to be more that were missing Will Buxton, who has another job, but I don't know what it is. He shared he's got another job, but he hasn't shared what he's doing. Jake Lowe. Okay, then. Um, <laughs> Let's but, ask our fans, what crazy job is Will Buxton doing these days? I think he's commentating running somewhere. Anyway. Um, Tour de France commentation? Yeah, maybe. 
Um, like I said, Jigolo. So th- there is that mixed reaction from the American fans. And then you get the British fans who are familiar with Sky's coverage. And pretty much their response is, oh, well, just get ready for the Lewis Hamilton love fest because that's all it is is Lewis Hamilton this and Lewis Hamilton that and Lewis Hamilton this. And you're going to get sick of it too. I can handle that. <laughs> Bring it on. Bring it on. Bring on Paul DeResta's analysis of the track. Well, see, that's where, as we read more about it, now our response is more like this. Well, what the hell does that mean? (laughs) Because while they've said that we're getting the Sky Sports commentary during the stream, or, or during the race itself, We also, if you recall, when they made the announcement that ESPN was going to be taking over the Formula One coverage and the number of hours they said were going to be devoted to coverage, that works out to be like just enough for the races and nothing else. Yeah, it's not enough. So we don't know if we're going to get the extended pre- and post-race coverage that the folks enjoy with Sky. And unfortunately, it's not unprecedented for the national TV coverage to use the Sky feed but not provide any of that pre- and post-race analysis. That's the way it is in Canada, right? Right. So we don't really know how this is going to look. There was a lot of talk over the fact that, yeah, this means that American fans are going to get to enjoy the commentary from Martin Brundle and from Paul DeRestan and Johnny Herbert and Anthony Davison and Damon Hill. But most of that commentary occurs with all of those folks pre and post race. Right. So I don't know how this is going to shake out. Well, you know something? We will find out in less than 30 days. We will, and that that's good news there. Um, we also know that there is supposed to be more coming in relation to the coverage because, as you recall, there's supposed to be some kind of streaming service coming to the F1 app that was part of the reason why NBC Sports walked away. Right. So maybe that's how we get that coverage? I don't know. At this point, we are just speculating. The other thing that has come out in in all of the conversations around this um, is the change in the race times. And this also throws some some questions. The third week in a row we've talked about change in race times. It does, but it also throws some question into exactly what kind of coverage we're going to get on air. Okay. Because... What has come out this week, if it is true, is that ESPN, as part of negotiating terms for carrying Formula One, went to Formula One Group and said, we do not want to cover anything outside of the allotted race times, which means no pre-race coverage, no build. It's just from lights on to lights off. And what Formula One did to try and get some kind of pre-race build-in, that's why they shifted 10 minutes. Okay. I don't know. 
you don't think that ESPN is going to start the coverage 10 minutes later because they want to go from lights out to no, I don't, flag. No, I, I don't think that they're going to do that. But if that's true, that means that we probably won't get anything other than those 10 minutes. That's that's what I think, if that's true. Okay. No? Okay, to be very, very honest with you, I am thrilled we're getting at least the Sky Sports commentary throughout the race. If that if we got nothing else, we have grown in the coverage of F1. Yeah. And that's without getting any pre- or post-race coverage. But just in the commentary, that will be an improvement. We will hear less about David Hobbs' favorite gin joints <laughs> and more about the actual action on the track. But... We are 30-something, or right at about 30 days before the first race in Melbourne. And we're going to know a lot more when we get a little bit closer, or even then. And some of this is still being decided. And quite frankly, there's a part of me that's just like, let them figure it out. Somebody's going to come up with a plan. Somebody's going to share a plan. We're not going to like the plan. So I don't see any reason to stress about it. Because the reality is there is no chance that the American audience is going to get what we want. What we propose is the best option for Formula One coverage in the United States. Good coverage? Good coverage, but all the coverage. I want the two hours for the qualifying. I want the three to four hours of coverage for a race. I want the post-race ceremony, and I want the the interviews and i want to have access to all of that except for when they do the podium with um the the german journalist kai i don't like when he does it we, so we you, could skip you, those podiums so you want to be able to control who does podiums now yes we we, we can skip the podiums where, where kai does the, the the podium questions okay um but what i'm saying is Quite frankly, Eyebrows and the F1 group are not <laughs> listening to us for the exact right kind of coverage for Formula One. And ESPN hasn't found us yet. And I do say, yeah, they will start listening to us eventually because we're right. But they haven't gotten there yet. I mean, they finally, NBC Sports finally listened to us and got rid of David Hobbs. It took <laughs> five years, but they finally got rid of him. I will claim every victory I can claim. It, it wasn't that they dumped the coverage. It's that they got rid of David Hobbs. Well, that was the mechanism that they used. Oh, is that it? I mean, just because they identified the fact that David Hobbs needed to go, now they had to figure out how. And the only way they could do it legally was obviously to dump the coverage. Oh, is that it? I, I read the contract. Okay. So we have a new partnership in Formula One. This actually is kind of cool. Okay. Now, it's, it's only going to be happening at 10 races, but it's a new partnership between uh, McLaren, Aston Martin, Red Bull, and Pirelli in the Formula One group. What this will do is at 10 events through the Formula One season, unfortunately, I don't know which ones other than Bahrain uh, they're going to be doing this at, but Aston Martin and McLaren are going to be supplying uh, road cars. High-end road cars. So for the Aston Martin, it's going to be the Aston Martin Vanquish. And we don't know who... Uh, oh, McLaren will be 
uh, supplying a McLaren 720S. Tires will be by Pirelli, and they will be offering rides to fans and celebrities around the track in a hot lap. However, it's it's a little more than just you get to ride in this really fast supercar with Pirelli tires. Oh, no. The Aston Martins will be driven by either Max Verstappen or Daniel Ricciardo. The McLarens will be driven by either Fernando Alonso, Stoffel Van Dorn, Mika Hakkinen, or Lando Norris. Do you get to pick your driver? Well, that's kind of what I was wondering. Because, I mean, can I pick my driver? You know, if I can get a ride with either Max or Daniel or Fernando or, well, basically pretty much anybody but Lando Norris, I'd be like, okay, that's kind of cool. But Lando Norris really hasn't established himself yet. Well, I mean, you could play the old Sesame Street games. One of these things is not <laughs> like the other. <laughs> um, I mean, I would expect that Mika Hakkinen will drive a little more reservedly compared to the others. I mean, he, he's not a young guy anymore. I don't believe he is actively racing anymore. It's probably still spirited, but probably not quite as spirited as, oh, I don't know, a ride with Max? Daniel or Max. Yeah. But see, here's the thing. I'd be hard pressed if you said you get one lap, you got to pick your driver. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be really hard pressed to pick my driver because, on one hand, I have a deep love for Daniel Ricciardo. He is so smiley. Honey Badger don't care. <laughs> love him. He is like the face of just pure joy when it comes to F1. So there's a part of me that says I want to be in the car with with Daniel because. That just sounds like it would be a party happening. And it's an Aston Martin Vantage. And it's an I mean, Aston Martin. Vanquish. Um, Vantage. Oh, you said Vanquish at first. Did I? I meant Vantage. Um, I think riding in the same car with Max might be a slightly scarier moment. <laughs> because I think he's a little bit more of, you know, a loose cannon. But also could be really cool because you know you're going to be putting it on the limit-ish. Yeah. Um, I don't really like Fernando Alonso very much. I mean, I know I've just said, like, sacrilege right there, but I don't. So he's really low on my list. But to be able to say that I rode in a McLaren with a flying waffle kind of sounds pretty cool to me. (laughs) And then there's Mika, who just has excess case in his life. Well, the, the, the thing you get to find out if you get to ride with Stoffel is whether or not he's actually embracing that nickname of the Flying Waffle. Because <laughs> we don't know. True, true. We don't know if he, he he calls himself a Flying Waffle. Or the Unstoppable. Yes, the Unstoppable Flying Waffle. I mean, but again, I think that he's got some of that, well, he's got freshman newbie joy going on because he's still new he's still he's excited i mean there's there's that young i haven't been jaded joy the thing i love about daniel ricardo so much is he's been around the block and he's not jaded yeah you know yes he's he's had what two races he came away with very angry and that was it most of the time he's just an unjaded fantastic driver and i do i love the fact that he's a little boy still excited about the sport. Now, uh, Mario Azzola, Pirelli's head of car racing, has described this program as the first ongoing experience designed specifically for fans to sample the speed and emotion of on-the-limit driving from the inside on actual circuits used during each Grand Prix weekend. 
I mean, this is basically IndyCar's hot laps, just not in a two-seater. Well, yeah. But also think of it. This is like step one in the blowing up the fan experience. Yeah. But it's also like IndyCar's hot laps, except with actual drivers from the series as opposed to professional Honda drivers that maybe aren't race car drivers. True. Speaking of hot laps, just as a complete aside, I need to figure out how we sign up because our new credentials, I think, gets us a hot lap at Mid-Ohio. We'll have to check on that because I don't think we went that level. Maybe we're like in a pool to be drawn for it, but I have to figure that out. Okay. You know, since some of the stuff started to arrive this past week. It did. We got some neat stuff from IndyCar. Um, Zach Brown is now talking about the Amazon series. Oh. Now, we, we've we watched the Amazon series last week. We, we talked about our thoughts about it and how much they shared and that they didn't really gloss over things as things went bad. Um, well, Zach is addressing this now. Um, he said, we took a decision. If you're going to do a show like that, then you have to be authentic to what the purpose of the show is. So we let them in places and meetings like we have every Tuesday race debriefs. We took the view that it would be counterproductive if it was inside of McLaren, edited by McLaren. We wanted to show everyone this is what really happens in an F1 team. He said that there was no second thought of keeping the filming going when the backstory of Honda's troubles came out. He said it wasn't what we planned for last year, but it was very authentic, very real, and that is what the sports needs to do more of for the fans. Let's be who we are and not try to necessarily be politically correct in everything we do. Let's let our guard down a little bit and let the fans on the inside. We hoped it would have been a different story. It really intended to be about the rise of Stoffel, but with all that was going on, it became the rise of Stoffel with all this other stuff happening. <laughs> We've seen it, and there are some scenes where we go, ooh. But we had to be authentic to what we said the show was going to be about. We just hope people appreciate our open and honest and transparent approach. Now, Autosport also says that F1 is working on a deal with Netflix for a, ser for a series of more of these behind-the-scenes films with various teams in 2018. Now, I don't think we're going to get that. I mean, it's kind of late. I would have thought that at this point for 2018, they would have had to have had that agreement in place and start filming. But it does sound like that we could be getting more of these types of films. Well, they could do some stuff like on single races and focus on a team and yeah. that kind of stuff. I mean, sort of more one-off stuff through 2018. But... Two thoughts that came to mind as you were reading Zach Brown's thoughts about it. Um, one, you set out to be authentic and not gloss over things. And I got to tell you something, you achieved your goal. Mm -hmm. And I don't think any less of you because you hit struggles. And I think that's the key thing is that I think most fans, when they've seen the series, aren't going to think any less of McLaren for the challenges that came through. And that's the, that's, I think is the biggest key here is I think no matter what you do all day, whether it's an F1 team or whether it's your normal day in and day out job, we get in our heads that if we're less than perfect, everybody's going to think less of us. And the truth is you often find greater um, uh, promotability, I guess is the way I'm trying to say it, 
when somebody sees that you've struggled and overcome. Now, McLaren hasn't hit the overcome part yet, but the fact that we know and have seen the open and pure, honest struggling, and that they're coming back to fight another day, you got to kind of cheer for them a little bit. And I don't think that I would have cheered for them if I didn't really get and now can like point to and say, whoa, that was rough. That was a rough start of the season. It was a rough season. And yet they showed up every day. And you got to give somebody credit for that. They they showed up to fight the good fight another day. They showed up to do it again. That's awesome. I think that's amazing. The other thing I thought of was I love this idea that we're going to start getting peeks into the behind the scenes pieces across yeah. If different teams, different thoughts. I hope they all embrace the Zach Brown philosophy. I hope they see it for what it was. That authenticity is awesome. And it's great to see a team succeed, but it's really great to see a team struggle and overcome. But also, I th- I'm, I'm hoping it also sends the message that you can give fans, you can give spectators... And by, by that, I mean more than just the fans, but the other teams in the paddock and whatever that peek behind the curtains through this model mm-hmm. and still preserve the proprietary information. Yeah. I mean, we didn't see what the engines look like. We didn't see the power curves or the grass or any of the technical details of what was going on and what was developing. Yes, we did see as... Um, the relationship started to sour, we saw some of the reaction. But in terms of the the true stuff that they don't want the other teams to see, we didn't, they didn't share that. Well, and the other thing is, keep in mind, this information, what they filmed, what they showed, was a, over a year old. But they still kept it blurred out. And, but <clears throat> at the pace that F1 moves, a year is almost a lifetime. And it's not that, okay, I get I don't want to know the stuff that's that proprietary. I wouldn't understand it, quite mm-hmm. frankly. But I get that they've got to keep some of that because that does carry over year to year and year. But the season was run by the time this thing was yeah. was over, was out. So opening up the doors to something that is effectively old news to show you sort of how you got there is it's less risky. Yeah. You're not talking about how you're developing for the season that's forthcoming and then everybody and their little brother can see it before you hit testing in um, Barcelona in, what, two weeks? Two weeks. Two weeks. Also, Zach Brown promises us that there are more sponsors coming to the team. Yay. He says things are, are going very well. Um yeah, we've had the, the partnership announced with Dell last week, uh, but commercially, it says everything commercially is going really well. We announced Dell, so we are now three announcements in. I would anticipate having another one or two before the start of the season, and then it is ongoing. Once the season starts, things slow down a bit, but you never stop. There's a lot of good commercial interest, and then when we hit the track, that will also help because there are some people, understandably, who want to see how we perform. Coming off of ninth in the championship last year, it doesn't make selling partners any easier. So if we can quickly demonstrate that we are no longer a ninth place team, that will just build on itself. 
Now, he's still not budging off this idea that they probably will not be getting a, a, a title sponsor, and they're not pursuing actively a title sponsor, but they are pursuing more sponsors. Okay. So. Sauber has come out and said that they think that the support that they are getting from Ferrari through the whole uh, Alpha deal, which, by the way, I think we're going to have to call the team Alphab. It's going to be the return of the Alphab. The Alphab? Yes, Alpha Sauber. Mm-hmm. Alphab. I don't think it works out to the Alphab. Well, it's either that or Alphaber. Alphaber. Either Alphab or Alphaber. I mean, I think it's better than Sabmero. Yeah. Um, I don't know. We've got to see how they do before they're going to get a Fragilina-type hyphenated They're staying Alphab. I mean, yes, I know. That originally came from from the unholy marriage of an Alfa Romeo and and a Saab. (laughs) 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 On Top Gear... (laughs) And something that was, you know, long ago. It was. But anyway. That's why I think we needed the return of the Alphab. But it's... I I don't know. But Sauber says that they believe with the support that they're now getting through this deal that they can emulate Force India as a giant killer. Really? They believe that this could put them up into strongly into that mid-pack fourth or fifth place location that uh, Force India has been enjoying the last few years. Interesting. Um, It would be interesting to see us not make fun of them as the last place team, but we'd have to think about what teams would they have to pass? Like, who would be last if, if they moved up out of last place? Who would be last? Toro Rosso with their Honda? Well, these are things to think about for our prediction show. I mean, interesting thoughts. Deep thoughts. But speaking of Sauber. They're bringing Munisha back? No. However, your most favoritist, now former team principal, has started an F3 team. She started? She, F- she has started an F3 team. Oh, my. Yeah. Now, have no fear. This does not mean that we're going to follow Formula 3 at all unless Monisha Kelton-Born's Formula 3 team implodes spectacularly. Well, and then we would only cover the implosion. Absolutely. <laughs> I just, you know, I, I, I have never quite forgiven her for the four butts, two seats controversy. I just can't forgive her for running the team into the ground and thinking that going from last year's engines to crappy... Actually, no. She had current year's engines to go to crappy Honda engines and last year's Ferrari engines were a great idea. It's all money saving. Yeah. Um, Valtteri Botas is commenting on the Halo. What does Valtteri think of the Halo? Well, he says that he has driven race distances in the simulator. Um, It's the 2018 spec car in the simulator with the Halo. 
and he says that it actually didn't bother him over the race distance. He said it took a little bit to get used to it, but once he got used to it, he stopped noticing it. And it didn't bother him anymore. Interesting. So he says that it should be less of an issue. Well, now that we're starting to see a few cars come out with the halo, it's interesting to see what they've done to integrate it so that it looks less like a bolt-on item. Yeah, and I still think to some extent it does, and we'll talk a little more about it. We've got one more story to talk about first, but we're, we're headed in that direction. Um, first off is Haas has made a bit of news this week. They did. Yeah. Um, before we get to them unexpectedly throwing out pictures of their car, um, <laughs> Gene Haas was cl- has clarified his position and the team's position regarding American drivers. Oh, so he's responded to our call for answers. Yes, he, he specifically he he was talking to other outlets, but he was specifically responding to us. Well, you know, I I, I realize that Gene has lost our phone number. He he must have since we never gave it to him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so he has no other way to reach us. Where our fans can reach us through our Facebook page and our website. He obviously does not Facebook or website. Yeah, yet. Um, so he's obviously listening and responding in the only outlets he knows how to respond in. So specifically, Gene decided to address this from trying to reinterpret Gunther Steiner's comments. Because it was Gunther Steiner who made the comments that pissed everybody off. Mm -hmm. What Gene said to clarify Gunther's comments, he said, Gunther responded by saying something to the effect that it wasn't at the top of our priority list, and things kind of took off in a bunch of different directions as people made a bunch of assumptions. The fact is that we're still learning here in Formula One, and bringing on a driver who needs to learn about Formula One probably isn't the best thing for us or them. We're not saying no to having an American driver, but the reality is that of the American drivers who have a super license and could actually compete in Formula One, they should really be with a team that can serve as their benchmark rather than the other way around. Now, we fully expect to eventually be in that position, ideally sooner rather than later, but this is only our third year and we need to improve in a variety of areas, and Roman Grosjean and Kevin Magnussen are playing a big part in that improvement because of their experience. They help us rather quickly determine if the course we're taking is a proper one or if we need to rethink our approach. That experience is invaluable as we look to become a team that can eventually challenge for podiums instead of just points. He went on to say that he thought that Gunther's comments had been misconstrued. He said, I believe in American drivers. My NASCAR team is full of them, and we've won a lot of races and championships. Obviously, the discipline is different. But sure, there are competent American drivers who can compete in Formula One. But we're not ready for that yet. And with the limited amount of testing teams have, getting anyone up to speed who hasn't already been part of a development program would be hard. I think that's the point that Gunther was trying to make. So I think that that's the call for Haas to create their own development program. Well, there's that. There's also the one you want to turn around and say that you you need experienced drivers right now and that there aren't any experienced American drivers with Formula One, which, number one, Alexander Rossi is going to stand up and go, that's a load of crap. 
Um, and I believe he still has his eligibility for a super license. But also, you look at what their driver pairing is. You've got Roman Grosjean, who, yes, he's been around the sport for quite a while. He's got a lot of experience. But then you have Kevin Magnussen, who's this is his third season in Formula One. Because he did one season with McLaren. He, he went to a reserve role for a year, then to Renault, and then over to Haas. That makes this his fourth year. Because he was with Haas last year. Right. Well, he's starting his fourth year. He's right. got three complete years is what I okay. meant. I'm like, your mouth isn't that, that, That's right. He's, he's got three full years in Formula One under his belt. Okay. Okay, so admittedly, Alexander Rossi has half a season, but he's, it's not like he doesn't have anything. And you couldn't start a program where you're, you're figuring out a way to get an American driver into free practice one? You're not getting American drivers into your simulators? Simulators, I mean, that doesn't really cost anything to do that. You're not getting an American driver to participate in your young driver tests? That, that's where I think he falls short. Well, yeah. I mean, I think that the truth that's hidden between those words is it's a someday goal for us. Yeah, it is. It's not a right now goal for us. Because I get the sense that right this second, they are looking much more for the right driver before they're looking for an American driver. And from that person, and, and, and that's what I think he needs to turn around and he needs to stand around, he needs to turn around and say is that, yes, we are an American team, but ultimately our goal is to win races. Our goal is to place as high up in this series as possible and to win a championship and to, to put a driver into contention. And while, yes, there are very good, high-quality drivers in there, until we find the right driver to anchor that team so that we can become the, the powerhouse that we want to be, that we can then offer up an additional seat to an American driver with that storybook ideal of an American driver with an American team, we just can't do it yet. Right. But also, let's look across the grid, and let's not hold Haas to a different standard because we are Americans. Mercedes mm -hmm. is a German team, technically. Mm -hmm. um, they have a Finn and a Brit. Mm -hmm. Ferrari, an Italian team. They have a Finn and a German. And they've seen some of their best success with Germans and Austrians driving their cars. But, and, and I don't want to jump too far ahead, but look at Williams. Mm -hmm. And look at, and, and yes, we knock Williams quite a bit over their current driver pairing, and we're probably going to knock them quite a bit even more over their driver pairing as we go through the course of the season. But Williams has stood up and said it's not the money that, and I don't know if I believe him, but they've said it's not the money that made them hire Sergei Sorokin. It was the fact of, of the available drivers, he was the fastest. And their goal is to get the fastest drivers available into their cars so that they can perform better as a team. Right. But my point is, we've got these classically, classic country-specific teams. Ferrari is Italy. Mercedes is Germany. Williams is British. Mm -hmm. Renault is France. 
It's mm-hmm. French. And Renault has said, we would love to have a French driver. That's why they were so interested in um, Ocon. And they've been interested in Grosjean, and Grosjean said he wanted to drive for them, but they couldn't get the deal in place. Right. But they want a French driver, mm-hmm. but they can't seem to make that all put together. They get they did finally get Ocon. But, I mean, that's been the one that has said, we're a French team, we want a French driver. But everybody else is like, we're going to put the fastest person we can put in this car. And I think that that's the reasonable thing to say and do. Yes, it would be a sweetheart moment for an American driver to drive for an American team. Hell, I'd be okay with an American driver driving for any team. <laughs> Except maybe Sauber. Uh, but I would like for an American driver to drive for a team. How does that? How do we get that to happen? I th- I that think yeah I know but 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 it, it's truly a matter of American drivers need to find a way into the development ladders right and then uh, we thought we had somebody with Rossi because he lived in Europe and carded yeah. and did all of the right things got to his do super this. license got his spent license. a couple of races yeah and now he's doing phenomenally well in IndyCar well he's doing well. I don't know about phenomenally, but he's doing well. Okay, he's he he's not. He He will he will have a job there. He, for he, he's a long time. he's won two races in IndyCar, um, and one of which was the five. He he's doing well, and I think he's doing well enough to justify remaining in a driver's seat with a successful team. And I think that that that's good for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, based on the way he was treated and stuff like that, if he really would want to go back to Formula One at this point. I, I don't know. And and it, the last time we saw him and heard from him, it didn't sound like that was on his list, just like Max Shilton. It didn't really sound like it was on their list at this point to go back to Formula One. I mean, I keep trying to ask him when I see him, but, you know, we're, we're too busy taking selfies. Yeah, well. Also on the topic of Haas, like we mentioned, on, I believe it was Monday of this past, or Tuesday of this past week, with no announcement, no fanfare whatsoever. Haas put out a press release with the first pictures of their VF18 car, which I'm sorry. Very every, fine 18. Uh, well, actually, every time I see VF, I think Vanity Fair. But <laughs> I just to, yeah, we could make up a lot of things to go with the uh, yeah. VF, but okay. That I mean, that's what I see is Vanity Fair. But they have put out the first pictures of their car. Now, this is these are renderings. So these aren't the actual car, but they we, we assume they're pretty close. Now, the first, because it's really hard to make any kind of inferences other than, hey, this is what the car is going to look like and what the paint job is going to look like. Um, but the first responses that I saw, and as I read them, I'm like, well, that's really kind of stupid. But the first responses I saw was, wow, they've done a really good job to minimize how noticeable the halo is. It's and I'm going... didn't put it on the car? <laughs> well, no, it's on the car, but it's a black painted halo. On a black background. On a black... On, on at the very least, a dark background. Or when they take the shots of it head on, the air intake and an engine cover behind it is black. Mm-hmm. So I'm not really sure that they minimize the appearance of the halo on the car so much as they knew how to go and pose the car so you didn't notice it as much. Mm-hmm. But in reality, when we see it on the track, I think it's going to stand out just like everybody else's. Yeah. Now, you and I have an argument about the colors of the car. Now, Haas has always seemed to embrace the gray and red Mm -hmm. logoing. 
And this now, this new livery has a large, light-colored swath on the back end of their car. I immediately looked at it and said, oh, look, they're embracing the Ferrari mantra of white makes it go faster. And you said, that's great. So according to Haas, they're using a light gray in that back section, but I still think it looks very white. It does. This is supposed to be um, more reminiscent of their first paint scheme from the very first year, and that was more gray, and that's that's what they had said. Now, the other things of note here is that we don't have the big fin. Mm-hmm. There is still a fin on the back of the engine cover, yep. but it is not as big of a shark fin as we have seen in the past. Correct. And there's a sponsor on the tailwind. <laughs> they do have a sponsor on the tailwind. Jack and Jones clothing, as we mentioned, what was it, last week or the week before, does make an appearance on the tail fin of the car. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they've moved up a little, but it's still primarily Haas on the car. It's a Haas car. Don't anyway. really have much else. I mean, it's this is preseason. We haven't seen it run, and truly, it's once those stopwatches start, that's where we can really... I mean, the livery is all about how pretty it is. Yeah. And so we're getting to start seeing uh, pretty liveries. Now, of course, the first scheduled launch... Was uh, Williams. Was Williams. So Haas trumped Williams just a little bit. Haas trumped everybody. Um, but this past week, we got to see what Williams' new car is looking like. Yeah, Williams is, again, more of the same. I predicted it. It's a white car with two shades of blue and a red (laughs) stripe. Um, I know that it's shocking that I got it so right, but I did. (laughs) Um, The problem that I have with Williams' car this year is they kind of made their stripe a little more swirly. They ran it up onto the fin. Well, um, that that's it was on the shark fin very similar to that before, but now the shark fin is not nearly as pronounced. Yeah. Um, but they put the at least in this example, they put the the driver's number in the middle of the red stripe on the fin. So I think that may be it, it's not the broad brush of color that you were used to from last year. I don't know. Yeah. The the one thing that I'll say and the the halo is much more noticeable on the it's Williams white. car. It, it's white and, if, and they had it in front of a black background, so it you know you can't miss it. But the the impression that I have had from the pictures that I've seen of the halos so far is that to me it kind of tricks the eye into thinking the cockpit of the car is taller. Mm. Because from what we've seen in the past, where you see that crossbar go forward that that horizontal bar you're used to seeing the driver's helmet peek out above that on a cockpit right well now because of the halo that is above the driver's head naturally my eye is thinking that the cockpit is higher and we should see the driver's head above that but that's not really how it is yeah so other than that you know, it is what it is. There's a lot of gloom and doom on the internet of, you know, the Halo makes it, it, it too safe and, and viewers are going to run away because of the Halo. And, you know, they, they said the same things about the um, erotic noses a couple of years ago. And they said the same thing about the the, plat- the raised platypus nose in 2012. And I don't think that those had any of an impact. Oh, so I'm it's... quite sure that they said the same things that... It was going to be too safe, and people would stop watching when they got rid of hay bales on the side of the tracks. 
I mean, when they went to Armco side, uh, track sides, um, I am sure that there was hoopla over the fact that, well, people only watch because there's a risk that somebody can die. You know, and they didn't see that drop. Yeah, I, I, I don't think that in, in terms of viewership or the fans, other than the true grumpy ones who are just going to complain about it. Oh, they're still complaining it's not about gonna, the engines. They're yeah, gonna be the same ones that have been complaining about the engine change. They're not going to run away from the sport because of the halo. Um, so, yeah. So coming up this week, what we have to look forward to. Um, on Monday the 19th, we have the Red Bull launch, the RB14, I believe. Uh, on the 20th, we have the Renault launch. And by the way, Renault was a little frustrated last week. Oh, were they? Yeah, because they were getting ready to post a video of the first startup of the engine. And apparently, just as they were getting ready to do that, Haas went and dropped the pictures of their car. <laughs> So Renault held off on that for a day or two, um, and at one point actually put up a tweet that said, well, if the coast is clear, maybe we'll finally post this. <laughs> it was along those lines. <laughs> um, but on the 20th, we have the Renault launch and the Alphab launch. Uh, on the 22nd is Ferrari's launch and the Mercedes launch. Uh, the 23rd is the McLaren launch, with at the start of winter testing, on the 26th is Toro Rosso's launch. And somewhere at some point, we're going to hear about the Force India car or whatever they're trying to be this year. Because mm. that's the other thing is we don't know. And that may be part of the reason why we don't have a name for the team yet is because or, or we don't have a launch date is because they haven't figured out what they're doing for the name this year. True. True. You had told me something about Mercedes and uh – was it Force India or Renault that were? Uh... <laughs> so Force India tours, I guess it was Friday, because Force India has um, a Twitter feed for Force India tours, which is factory tours of the plant and the folks who do that, which is a separate Twitter account from Force India's team Twitter account. Force India tours was giving a tour and they posted a picture on Friday of a gentleman on their tour wearing a Mercedes-AMG Patronus team windbreaker and made a comment that the guy was wearing the, the wrong jacket. Force India retweeted that and said that they had caught one of Mercedes' spies and that they might need to try a little harder than to just come on the tour, to which Mercedes responded that, uh, no, they were just trying to get a closer look and make sure that they were installing Mercedes' engine correctly. <laughs> 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 I have to tell you, the social media groups that run things, the Mercedes, the uh, Renault, and the Force Indias, so, Twitters and social media, those particular ones need to be called out as being awesome. They punk each other so much. Yeah, every once in a while, the, the Red Bull team will, will jump in too. But yeah, Force India, Mercedes, uh, and Renault. Renault. They, they are classic to watch as they ping off of each other oh yeah so over to indycar over to indycar um we've gotten some more feedback on the uh error screen that was tested by scott dixon okay uh two weeks ago um they've decided that uh the testing went above and beyond what they expected T 
completely exceeded what they thought was going to happen. Um, so Jeff Horton, IndyCar's director of engineering and safety and also the project leader for the windscreen, said that they're hoping to test the device at the season's early start tracks. He says they'd like to get some real-life testing at a track where there's something close to you, such as walls or poles and stuff. So what's going to happen is we'll leave our kit together that was on Scott's, uh, uh, Scott Dixon's Chip Ganassi car. He said, we'll try and find somebody else and a place to test it. So the next question is, well, well, you know, are, can you do a, a private session for this? Does it need to be a live session? Um, Horton said that the preference would be a live session. He says that would be ideal because the street courses typically don't become available until the day of practice. And, of course, they start tearing them down the day of the race. Our plan is to have the team build up a second car and apply the windscreen and stuff so we're not taking that off and having that time lag. So we have a team building up a second car. We would find time in the day to have a driver go out and run some laps for us. Now, like I mentioned, he said that the initial tests exceeded their expectations. However, he doubts that there would be an introduction for 2018. It does seem a little tight to try to get that on the, the car, all the cars and all the drivers getting a chance to drive with it to get used to it. Right. He says probably 2019 is more likely he says we're getting ready to do our impact testing and all of that the season happens pretty quick and the manufacturing of all the parts and stuff has to be on the list none of those are deal killers but it's all reality trying to get parts made and stuff once we bless it from the impact side because it's a retrofit to our current tub it means modifying tubs to mount the flange and stuff so we're going to work on it hard We've not said exactly when the windscreen will be implemented. We'll do it when it's right, which is what IndyCar's always done with any safety item we have introduced. Very cool. So the other interesting bit of news to come out of IndyCar is that Cosworth has come out and, com and confirmed that they are in talks with the series to become an engine supplier. Ooh. Now, they said that um, they wouldn't be doing this alone. Um, just like if they were to come into Formula One, they want an OEM to partner with to supply engines through. Um, so we don't know exactly who they're looking at for this. IndyCar apparently is actively trying to get a third manufacturer to come in alongside Honda and Chevrolet. And apparently the two companies are supporting IndyCar's efforts to bring in another manufacturer. I think that would be really great for IndyCar. Yeah. Now, Cosworth has supplied engines for top-line open-wheel racing, um, but they got out of the sport once Champ Car went away in 2008. Um, its electronics arm recently signed a four-year deal to supply steering wheels for the Dallara IR12, which is the current chassis. Cool. So we'll see what happens. It, it could be very interesting. He says, you need to be an OEM to enter Indy. He says, if we get um, Bruce Wood, who's Cosworth's managing director of powertrains, says you have to be an OEM to enter in Indy. And if we can find the right OEM to fund it, going back to Indy would be appealing. That's cool. So we'll see where that goes. Our last story, over to WEC. Okay. It's a three-series show today. It is. Um, the Le Mans organizer and promoter of the World Endurance Championship, 
Automobile de West has stated that there will be a system of penalties in place for the 2018-2019 WEC season, WEC season to ensure a balance between the non-hybrid privateers and the hybrid Toyota cars, Toyota factory cars in LMP1. In other words, if you beat the LMP the Toyota LMP car, you're going to get a penalty. I don't even understand that. <laughs> <laughs> you beat them, now you have to take a penalty. So you're yeah. going to have to beat them by a certain amount to do to what? Win? Well, the Automobile de West has not yet disclosed or explained the procedure, but it reflects that the three new cars in the Janetta, Delara built, BR Engineering, BR1, and the Rebellion developed Oracle are arriving in LMP1 for the super season. And the only manufacturer team that is running is the Toyota team. And they're the only apparently hybrid team that is running in LMP1. Traditionally, those privateers didn't run in LMP1. It was just the manufacturers running. Mm. So they're trying to figure out a way to come up with a balance of power. And they've come up with this great idea that, well, if you beat Toyota, we're going to give you a penalty. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I'll take stupid road course rules for a thousand, Alex. <laughs> now, the sporting director for the club, Vincent Biomesnel, uh, he told Autosport that there will be a pen penalty system of which we will release details later in case a non-hybrid car is faster than a hybrid. The reason for a non-hybrid going faster can only be that we have not been given the correct data by the relevant constructor. We are saying that we have given you a certain level of performance, and if you are above this level, you have misled us. Okay. Yes. He went on to say further that the system was, quote, quite clever and quote would not disrupt the racing interesting yeah i <laughs> i you, you got no words for that so yes success ballast is the best way to describe that yes i think i can come up with another s word for that <laughs> starts with stew ends with pid got it Rhymes with Pid? <laughs> Rhymes <Yeah>. with Pid. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we don't have a story for our last thing. We do have uh, – I, I, there, there were some comments that I apologize for not getting to sooner. For some reason, I don't get the notifications when comments pop up on the page. Oh. Um, and even though we're set to automatically approve folks who have commented before, it doesn't always happen. So, like, Rob left a comment two weeks ago, and I didn't see it until two days ago, and I apologize for that, but it's been approved. It's been posted. Um, Rob had some comments from—it's a couple of shows back, actually. Made the comment two weeks ago um, regarding— He's catching up. He is. He said he was doing this while he was digging post holes, which, by the way, we need a new post hole for our mailbox. So if you want to come out here and do it from L.A., you're more than welcome to, although the ground's still a little frozen, but, you know. I'd, I'd wait till there's a thaw. <laughs> <laughs> um, he was—wanted uh, to follow up on the driver weights and our comments that we had made regarding how draconian they can be for the drivers mm -hmm. and how they, they tend to penalize them. He recommends— um, a solution similar to what they do in horse racing, 
Of course, the challenge is there that they've got their own weight issues with jockeys and horse racing, and size is a concern there as well. Uh, but basically, the idea is set a minimum weight for the car, and if the driver's underneath that, um, then there's some ballast that has to happen, which I think is kind of similar to what they're doing now. I think that has to do a, a little bit with um, what the rule changes are, because the rule change says that there's now a minimum weight for the driver. Yeah, and, and that's actually what he was talking about also, is set a minimum driver weight, and if the driver is under that weight, then it, it's put ballast on the car. Um, and that's actually the way it works and the teams want the drivers to be as far under that weight as possible because they get that ballast and they can play with that ballast depending on where they put that ballast impacts the handling of the car mm -hmm. so i i think what rob is proposing is that maybe you lock down how they can use that ballast um after you've come up with a realistic weight because we're still not necessarily there with a realistic weight but come up with a realistic weight and then lock down how a team can use that ballast and where they can place that ballast so that you can't monkey with the two right but i mean i think that there's also i, I mean i'll be very honest i think that they need to get to the point of saying our drivers should have a healthy weight period yeah. And you should adjust the car around them being healthy. Well, because maybe they've the, got, I mean. But maybe the, the, the question is, and, and again, I don't know how you tie this into the car and, and, and keeping drivers from, from, or keeping teams from monkeying with it. But instead of looking at it from the perspective of a healthy weight, would it make better sense from a driver's perspective to look at it from, the, from um, a healthy BMI? Well, except for the fact that we kind of know that the BMI tables are a little screwy. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, they need to have a – there has to be a, a, a chart of some type, whether it's a great chart or not, <laughs> that basically says five foot four Masa, who I know is not driving this year, doesn't have to be 170 pounds because that's not a healthy weight for Masa. It's not a Masa healthy weight. Okay. Um, and six foot tall, uh, Nico Hulkenberg, maybe 170 pounds for him is also not a healthy weight. I mean, that's what I'm trying yeah. to get at. No, I, I, is, I know what you're thinking. And is Masa's not tall. Masa probably should be maybe around the 150 mark, but he's running, you know, I think Lewis Hamilton, somebody said somewhere along the things that I was reading, Lewis is in the 130s. Yeah, it wouldn't I mean, do you have me. any idea how little that is? Yeah. And you then turn around and you look at a Nico Hulkenberg or when Mark Webber was racing. I mean, they're positively anorexic. Well, especially in, in Mark's last two years or so of racing is where he looked the most gaunt. Mm -hmm. And I just don't think that that's healthy. And however you have to do it, because with the weight limit as it was on car and driver combined, it was easy for the teams to tell drivers, well, you need to lose the weight so that we can have it for the car. Yeah. And now that they've got a minimum weight for the driver, well, the thing is, they're still coming up with ways to turn around and say, you need to lose weight because even though the driver needs to be a certain weight, 
they still want the car. They, they want as little weight as possible in mm-hmm. the car. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I'm assuming that that is why Lewis is driving without a drinks bottle at this point. <laughs> we don't know if he's still doing that. We know he, he started that at the beginning of the season. He might have realized that actually that was kind of a stupid idea and um, made him sound like Lightning McQueen. <laughs> but that's entirely possible but i also think he went full vegan this past year too he did because his body is a temple it it is apparently and um, a very tattooed temple and a very tiny temple right well yeah (laughs) um oddly pierced temple but uh, (laughs) i don't know all the different places i don't want to know i don't i really don't and on that very fine and important note, remember, we're still looking for your recommendations, your suggestions for predictions for uh, the coming season. Um, just remember that we've already got the obvious ones down, like who's going to win the championship and uh, who's going to win the constructors and whether or not Kimi Räikkönen is going to leave this season. And those That's are already set. And Fernando. Um, Okay, yes, and whether or not Fernando is going to as well. Um, I've started to compile what I've got. We saw that uh, um, Phil. Phil had sub- submitted uh, a couple as well. Um, I liked some of his, by the way. I did, um, one of which was already on our list, which, but we'll, we'll get to that when we get to that. We're still looking for your suggestions. Um, honestly, I think once we get into testing, and we start hearing about the cars on the track, um, it's going to become a bit more evident as to what our questions should be for next year. Yes, it but, always happens that way. But uh, the deadline for sending your questions over to us for predictions for the season um, ends with the day after testing ends, okay. the last testing session, because we will be doing our show that weekend. Okay. So you've actually got that planned out. You've planned something in advance. I actually did. Whoa. And on that note, we should probably call it a show. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. (laughs) Okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. <laughs> a little break? Okay. Whew.